So I have the very great pleasure of uh, welcoming and introducing our spe very special guest um, that we have with us this morning. We have uh, Dave Ryder, who is coming to share the message with us this morning. Now, uh, Jordan suggested that uh, I introduce Dave in the same way that we introduce our coffee every week. So, um, but we got as far as that he has tasting notes of dark chocolate, and and then our creativity on that kind of dried up. So instead, I'll just I'll just let you know that. So Dave Dave is the senior pastor at Kelmscott Church, Church of Christ. Kelmscott are doing an incredible job here in the team. They're doing an incredible job of reaching into their community and ministering in that space. And it is. Um, He's come and he's spoken here at Elevate a few times. We have these great friends with us. We really appreciate what he has to offer us, and it's my pleasure to invite him up now. Cool. How's everyone doing today? Great to be here. Now, apparently, Mark is um, representing Australia, doing something, some sports stuff. Is that right? What a, <laughs> what a great excuse to miss church. Unbelievable. Anyway, great to be here, and um, Mark and Louie and Andrew and myself, we've known each other for so long, um, so way, way, way back, so um, really privileged to come and serve um, alongside a great team that's over here, and you guys are just, I get to come here every year so far. If I stuff this one up, I may not get invited next year, I get that, but um, it's just amazing from the outside coming in every year to actually see the growth, and not just see the things that have changed, obviously there's a new stage, I was told to sit over there because there's no stairs over here anymore, and I've got these skinny jeans on so I can't lift my legs up or anything like that, but, um, but the atmosphere in the place is changing. And um, that is just so amazing to actually see. It's great to see new faces and all that. So um, we're actually part of the family. We're just down in Camelo, um, the Church of Christ family, and um, we're doing this together, eh? So it's going to be cool. Okay, um, I am going to just um, serve and actually um, play my part and actually really, really hope that this actually um, adds something to your current series, which is called Stretch Marks. Is that right? Stretch Marks. Now listen to the podcast about celebration, how we done, that's, such a, that's a really good one. Um, but today's message is actually called No More Vessels. And I'm going to launch straight into it because um, otherwise I'll just ramble and all my time will be gone. We're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4. Um, so if you have your Bibles, why don't you crack that open? If you have your phones, get your Bible app, let's get into the Word of God. If you don't have it, the um, scripture will be up on the screen. And um, I'm going to pray and then we will read it. Are you guys ready? Are you good to go? You know I'm from Kelmscott, so I'm not like that familiar with Elevate, so you need to like make me feel welcome and encourage me. And, and if I say any real lame jokes, you've got to say, that was really lame, Dave. <laughs> and I do stand, even though um, Mark's obviously more athletic than me, I'm younger than him, so I can by 10 years or so. So let's pray, let's get into it, and let's actually lean in and believe that God's going to speak to us today. I do not rock up to church just to twiddle my thumbs and like, I expect to have an encounter with Jesus Christ, and I expect to walk out of this door different to that way I walked in. And if you're anything like me, that comes with expectation, yeah? So Father, we do come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you for the great privilege and opportunity to come around your word. We thank you for this great church, what you are doing here, God. Father, I thank you for every single person who is here, that you would come and you would meet with us. I thank you for the beautiful, beautiful kids right now in the kids' ministry, that you would touch, you would change them, Lord, that, that they would encounter Jesus as well, and that we would not walk out of this place the same. In Jesus' name, if someone believed that, someone say, Amen. Good. I like a bit of noise, if you can't tell. Seven verses, 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, 
Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slave. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? The servant, your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into the jars. And as each is filled, put it to one side. So she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, Go and sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your son can live on what is left. Really interesting. Seven verses kind of just slotted into First and Second Kings. First and Second Kings, um, obviously a story of the kings of Judah and Israel, about the, the, the um, kings who were doing great, and then the absolute desolation of an entire empire. And these seven verses are kind of slotted in over there. This particular time of history um, is a time when there is a nation that is in decay. It's a nation where there's apostasy. It's a world in which is unsympathetic to God's word, to God's wisdom, to God's law. I wonder if that can resonate with anyone. But it's a period of time where it's actually really tough to be a believer in Yahweh. And more than that, it's actually tough to make ends meet. And it's in this particular setting that we meet this widow. And this widow... um, is in a predicament where she is about to lose absolutely everything. Um, not only is she a widow, which makes her vulnerable, um, but she, when her husband died, the creditors came and said, just because your husband's dead, we still want our money, so we're coming after your sons, and we're going to take your sons. And the thing is, in that particular day, um, it was not just bad to be a widow, but if you lost your sons, you lost all of your protection. So this widow is in dire straits. She is really in need and she doesn't actually see a way out. She's vulnerable. She's about to lose everything and she cannot see a way out. I wonder if you've ever been in a place where you're in a particular situation and it seems that there is no way out of this situation. You're facing a mountain, or you're facing a giant, or you're facing something and it just seems, oh my goodness, I can't even like, fathom what I'm encountering right now. And if I played the movie forward, even two days, even a month, maybe a year, this situation which I'm in, which is really bad, but it's only going to get worse. Has anyone ever been in that kind of situation? The stuff's hit the fan. You're sort of going, oh my goodness. Has anyone ever been in that situation? That's good. I'm in the right church. It's not just me. <laughs> or have you met someone who's in that situation? What I find amazing here is we're going to journey through this and and later we're going to talk about some principles. But this widow is so remarkable to me because this widow, it actually says her husband was in a a group with prophets. These prophets were the understudies of Elisha. So this woman, she's been hanging out with men of God. She's been hanging out with the church people. She's been hanging out um, with with people starting the Torah and actually um, skilling themselves. And yet, in this situation, this woman doesn't sit down and bury her head in pity. She actually has something which is so remarkable. She has this trait of humility that she would actually go to God, the man of God, his representative, and say, I'm in need. I need help. How many of us here have been in church five, ten years or more? Right? It's a fair lot of us. 
I've been in church since I was one year old. And um, over that, that time, I've learned a lot of stuff in church. But you know, one thing that I've found that I can easily lose by hanging around church, people hanging in church and all that, is the ability to humble myself and come before God and cry out to God. Because in that state, in that moment, in that posture of actually coming before God, you look absolutely stupid, don't you? I mean, I look stupid every day. I pastor a church, right? <laughs> what do you do, Dave? Oh, well, sometimes it looks like what we're doing is working. Other times it doesn't look like it's working. You know, it's just like you're crying out to God. It's a state where it's like, God, I don't know what I'm doing. How many of us admit that, God, I don't know what I'm doing? God, I am weak. God, I am absolutely stuffed. God, if you don't come through right now, this thing is just going to go to pot. But this widow has the humility to actually posture herself in a place where she comes before God. And she does that. And as we journey through this, as this widow, she cries out to God, looks like a fool before God. As we read through this, I'm actually going to talk about three principles, which I kind of see throughout Scripture, but it sort of comes to the fore in this particular story. And I reckon that, you know, if we actually take these principles and see how they may apply to my life and your life, we may see God move more mightily and more effectively in and through our lives and our communities and our church. And you know what? This is a significant church in Western Australia. Do you believe that? Okay, do you believe this is a significant church in Western Australia? Okay, if you do not believe, let me tell you, this is a significant church in Western Australia. All right, God has brought together an amazing team. God does not make mistakes. If you're sitting here, you are the team. All right, and God wants you to cut sick. God wants you to go for it. God does not want you to be ashamed. God does not want you to be afraid. God wants you to step out boldly, and he will do the impossible in this church. And in order for us to see that happen in this particular church, and I'm not just saying that I believe that this church is a significant church, there are some principles that we can learn from. And if we take these principles, you guys are going to have the wildest ride you've ever had in your entire life. And if you, someone agree with that, yeah. are you ready for that? Yeah. Are you up for that? Because we need more thriving, healthy, expansive churches, not less. And you're a significant one, all right? So own it. First principle, you ready? Come on. I told you, I'm from, I'm from Kelmscott. I need a little bit of love. Are you ready? Yeah. Good, good. There is a partnership. There's a partnership. There's a partnership. We need to understand that there is a partnership. 2 Kings 4 verse 2, Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant said, There's nothing there at all except a small jar of olive oil. You know, what is really interesting about this story, at no time in this story does Elisha overshadow the widow. At no time. At no time is it about Elisha's faith. At no time is it Elisha's story. This is the story. This is the faith of a widow. She is in a situation, and she is owning the situation. She understands that there is a partnership in order to go through this situation. And in your life and in my life, by our own doing, because sometimes we just do really dumb stuff, right? If you're anything like me, sometimes we do some dumb stuff. We don't apply wisdom, and we get ourselves in a spot. But there are other times where external things which are out of our control, we fall into it, and we find ourselves in a position. And that is the time when we are to actually be active, not indifferent in the situation. 
Because in order for us to move through, in order for God to actually touch and change our lives, it's going to require a partnership. Are you with me? It's going to require a partnership. And no time is this story about Elisha. You know, Elisha says, how can I help you? But immediately he says, what do you have? What do you have? What do you have? Dire need demands active participation. What do you have? If you're in a need at the moment, if you have a need at the moment, if you're in a situation right at the moment and you go to God, chances are God's going to say, what do you have? What is in your proximity? What is at your disposal? Because just because being a Christian does not give you a pass from things that happen to everyone in life. Because in your life, in my life, there will be dire needs that actually comes. We will go through things like death and loss through illness, relational breakdown, financial uncertainty, bankruptcy. We'll go through all that same stuff as the rest of the world. Being a Christian does not mean we get a pass from that stuff, but we get something greater. We get the gift of faith, which enables us to go through that situation. Are you with me? Yeah? It enables us to go through it. But in order for us to activate and live in that, we need to understand that there is a partnership. There's a partnership. God is going to ask you, what do you have at your disposal? And understand in verse 3, he says, Elisha says, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. See, God's instruction is to go beyond our reach, right? To go to reach out, I should say. But he never asks us to go beyond our reach. There's always something in proximity. Samson needed the jawbone of an ass, didn't he? Didn't he? He did. Moses had a staff. Luke chapter 15, there's a woman who's lost a coin. And what does she have to do? She has to grab a broom and she actually starts working and start using. See, God will actually bring breakthrough and things in your life and my life when we actually look and actually reach out and take the things which are at our disposal and start using that. That's how God works. What do you have at your disposal in your own life? What about this church? What do we have at our disposal? Oh, my goodness. Look around. Unbelievable. You know, I reckon you, you should like walk out of this church and sort of say, now I'm going to walk into this church like I was like the first time I ever walked in, right? Do that and walk in with fresh eyes and go, oh, my goodness, God, what have you given us? What have you given us? How are we going to use what God has given us? Because that's what happens. It's a partnership. It's a partnership. And understand that Elisha says, don't go get a few. Don't get a few. Living by faith is not living by 80% or 70%. It's 100%. It's 100%. Naaman, he had to go and wash seven times, not six times, right? Joshua, he's taking the Israelites and they march around the wall. They don't march around one day, two days, three, four, five days. They march around, and on the seventh day, they march around seven days, seven times, and the walls come crumbling down because walls do not crumble at 80%. They don't crumble at 80%. Giants don't fall at 90%. The life of faith is actually going full throttle, believing God 100%. That's where the breakthrough is going to happen. That is what's going to happen. God is going to do something amazing. Do you believe that? Do you believe it? Do you believe it? If I do nothing but light a spark in you guys today, I'm happy, all right? Because I can see the potential in this church. I can see potential in you guys. And you need to know that where we sit over there in Camillo, we are cheering you on, and we want you to go and cut sick for the kingdom of God. All right? Second principle, God is concerned about you. God is concerned about you. This seems like a no-brainer. This is a tough one to actually grasp. God is concerned 
about you. You know, in Luke chapter 4, there's just an interesting scenario. And um, at this particular time in Jesus' ministry, he's gaining all this momentum and his fame's going out and he heads back to his hometown. And you kind of think that if anyone was gaining momentum, popularity, and you're going back to your hometown, this is the time to capitalize, right? Jesus stuffed that up. You know, he needed a better PR manager or something. But he goes back to his hometown and he tells a couple of stories, two in particular, one about a prophet called Elijah, the second one about a prophet called Elisha. And guess what? They want to kill him after that. Because what he was saying is that my ministry is not going to be like what you think my ministry is going to be. My ministry is going to be in line with Elijah and Elisha. In fact, Elisha's ministry is a foreshadow of Jesus' ministry, which is actually our ministry. And what was really significant about Elijah and Elisha in particular is their tendency, for some reason, to meet the needs and show God's love to an individual. 2 Kings chapter 3, Elisha's over there, delivers the kings, affluent, powerful, Chapter 4, a widow feeds people. Some guy drops an axe head into the river and says, that's someone else's, I'm going to go bankrupt. Axe head starts to float. Isn't it amazing that God would care so much for an individual that he would cause an axe head to come up and float just for an individual? That is amazing. But that is what we read. Second Kings verse 7, she went and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your son can live on what is left. God never shows off, all right? When he does a miracle, when he breaks through, this is not God showing off. God does not have to prove himself God. He is pretty comfortable and pretty confident in the truth that he is God. But God will always act in accordance with his character. With his character. And we need to know that. There are three basic questions that we all should probably have an answer to when it comes to forming of our theology and our conversation about God. First one is, who is God? Well, God is mighty, isn't he? He's all-powerful. The Word of God says, for the rest of eternity, I will not be able to fathom how big, how vast, how magnificent, how majestic he is. Angels who, who are surrounded, they are continually crying out, holy, 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 because they are continually seeing another magnificent facet of our God. Beside him, there is no other, right? But what does God think about you, if you were honest? Do you think God likes you? Do you think God loves you? Do you think God's angry at you? That's a big question. Do you think God is concerned about you? Do you reckon? With all the thoughts that go through your head, all the times you think in your head, man, I know I'm supposed to love that person, but right now I just want to give them a headlock and just go. <laughs> no one else does it? No? <laughs> times you just have these thoughts that are just so oh, perverse and like repulsive and like, why am I thinking? these things you know you're like the apostle paul the things i don't want to do i keep on doing those things and the things i should be doing i'm not doing those things what do you think about god what does he think about you can i tell you that regardless of what you think god thinks about you god loves you he cares for you god loves you because god is love all right god is love 
God acts in accordance with his character. God loves you. He loves you. He absolutely adores you. There is no way that you could possibly make God unlove you. I dare you to try. You will fail. Now, that's not literally asking you to, but you will fail. Do you honestly think, or do I honestly think, that something which I do or I thought of something will actually deny God being God? No. God loves us. God loves you. And if we have a theology or we answer that question in any other way, we will look at life, we will look at other people, we will look at the way God responds to other people, and instead of celebrating that, we'll get jealous. Instead of like saying, go for it, we say, well, what about me? And God says, no, you need to understand that I love you. You're my child. I love you. I cannot unlove you. Two weeks ago was one of the most devastating days in Western Australia when we lost the AFL Premiership to that other team. But they were the better team on the day, right? Now, I was watching that, and it pained me. But at the end of it, I saw like Sam Mitchell and his two little twin girls and the little boy, over there, and they were on TV, and, and Sam Mitchell had one girl, I think, was carrying it, and, and, and the other one, there was just a picture of these two kids, and there was a son, and a little, gorgeous little girl, and the camera was on him at right that exact moment where the little boy went, and pushed her over. <laughs> on national TV! And I thought to myself, isn't that just like kids? They do silly things. They stuff up. But the heart of a parent, I know my heart and Andrew's heart, is that even when we see our own kids, we cannot but love our kids. And God cannot but love you. And he's for you. And he believes in you. And he thinks and he knows that you can get the job done. Because if he didn't think you can get the job done, God who transcends everything, he would have put you at another generation, another country, at another time. But no, he believes that you can get the job done here and now because he loves you, he believes in you. He knows you better than what you know yourself. All right? God loves you. He loves you. God cares about you. And it is amazing that even in this story, this narrative about the kings, how kings were like, did good in the eyes of God, but so many did evil in the eyes of God. How there's this meta-narrative that's outworking itself, that's outplaying itself, that God will slip in stories to let you know and let me know, no, I love the individual. I love you. To let us know. To let us know that he loves us. That's the second thing. The third question about our theology is, what is God doing and am I involved in that? What is God doing in Elevate? What is God doing in the city of Belmont? What is God doing here? Am I a part of that? Am I going to be involved in that? Now, if we can answer those three questions, mate, we are home and host. We are home and host. They are three key questions that will keep us in good standing. But do you reckon, does God love you? He loves you. He cares for you. Just read out Psalm 103 before. He says that he knows that we were formed. He remembers that we are dust. He understands. He knows. And he loves you. He loves me. But his love is not just for you. His love is supposed to actually go through you, isn't it? To reach a world outside. The first commission which God gives to Abraham, he says, I'm going to bless many nations through you. The city of Belmont is going to be blessed because you're here. Your workplace should be blessed because you're there. Your family should be blessed because you're there. Because God's love to you is supposed to go through you, extend beyond you, and actually affect and change everyone around you. Do you believe that? It's good. Third principle, I'm aware of the time. Because I know Mark will ask. Now, third principle is kind of a strategy which personally I think is pretty dumb. However, it is a strategy that God seems to use over and over and over and over again. And the strategy is basically this. 
God always uses a vessel. He always uses a vessel. Always uses a vessel. In verse 5 to 6, she left him, shut the door behind and the sons. They brought the jars to her and they kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. It's a strategy that seems to go against modern advances, really, because God doesn't seem too interested in buildings or money or schools or politics or kings or empires. But God is always looking for a vessel, always looking for a container. Second Timothy 2 verse 20 says, In a large house, a vessel is not only of gold and silver, but also of wooden clay. Some are for special purposes, some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments of special purposes, made holy and useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. You know what's really interesting about this story? Is that the oil didn't stop flowing when there was no more oil. The oil stopped flowing when there were no more jars, when there were no more vessels. And jars, vessels, containers, that's something that we're actually really familiar with, but we don't really talk about a lot. We kind of take it for granted. I mean, every single week, could you imagine if you went and did your weekly shop at Coles or Woolworths, right? And I know that when we do our weekly shop, we don't have enough room in the car because obviously my two-year-old, he eats like a beast, right? That's just the reality. I can't imagine what it's going to be like when he becomes a teenager. But, um, but when we go, like, it's just like, there's no room in the car. You're swimming in grocery stuff. But could you imagine if you did your weekly shop, you went to the checkout, the checkout um, guy or girl actually said, well, sorry, we've run out of bags. You think to yourself, oh, my goodness. How in the world am I going to get all this stuff to the car? And I've got all the product, but like, so you sort of get everything. You get your eggs and you get your milk, you get your tomatoes, and you sort of go on like that, and you're sort of holding it. And, and all of a sudden, the milk sort of falls to the ground. The lid comes off and sort of spurts everywhere. You slip over the eggs, fall. And can you imagine how, um, like, that would just be ridiculous, right? You have all the product, but you've got nothing to carry the product in, right? Now, this morning, we had coffee. I think I had about two or three because I just needed it. The kids just would not sleep. So I just needed a coffee. And so often we say, I want some coffee. Well, do you really want coffee? Because if we actually gave you coffee, say, okay, hold out your hand. We're going to pour it. You get third-degree burns, right? No, you didn't ask for coffee. You asked for a cup of coffee, right? I want some water. Do you really? I'll get some water and splash it in your face. No, you don't. You want either a cup or a bottle of water. Could you imagine ordering pizza, right? Ordering pizza, Domino's, and this young, ruddy teenage kid comes, and he's got your pizza like this, but there's no pizza box, right? And the pizza, and the cheese is kind of coming down his hand, and he said, here's your pizza. And you're thinking to yourself, man, I don't even know if you wash your hand in the toilet or not. Because seriously, I go to the toilet and walk out and say, sometimes, dude, why do you just wash your hands? It'd just be better for everyone. Could you imagine that pizza's over there? But I don't want to even touch that thing. Now, when someone comes and they give you your pizza or deliver your pizza, they give it in a box, don't they? And the box is only worth about 20 cents. But the value of what that person hands you is not determined or dependent on the container, which is only worth 20 cents. It's what's inside of that container, isn't it? So sometimes we can prance around, right? And we can say, oh, I'm doing the work of God. Oh, praise God. Come on, Dave, get your head out of your backside. You need to understand, right? You need to understand you're just a 20-cent box who are just filled with the oil of God. And God says this. This is what he says. If you provide the containers, if you provide the vessels, I'll fill it with my oil and we can get the job done. And the world will be changed in the name of Jesus. Do you believe that? It's not about... Because I look at myself. 
I'm going bald. I'm fat. My legs are sort of going like I sort of bend over and I play with my kids and I get up and say, oh my goodness, my knees. And, you know, and, and I kind of look at myself, I look at all these other pastors and they're so cool and they're, they're hipster and all that sort of stuff. And, and Matt's, Mark's got his skinny jeans and I try skinny jeans, but they're struggling to do my button and all, you know. But then I sort of go, oh my goodness, there's nothing. And God says, Dave, all you have to do, you may be just a 30 something guy who's like running, run down or something. All you need to do is make sure you're clean and you're available. I will fill you with my oil. I will fill you with my oil. You see, the way that the world is going to be changed is not through our great intellect or great social media or anything like that. The way this world is going to be changed is when hundreds and thousands of Christians will actually come before God and say, God, I haven't got much. I don't look like much. I ain't much. I understand I'm only a 20-cent box, but if you fill me up with your oil, we can change the world in Jesus' name. That's how it's going to happen. That's how it's going to happen. It's not the box, it's the value that's inside of it. And God says, if you've got the containers elevate, then I'll get the oil. And all you have to do is say, God, fill me up. Fill me up. Have you noticed as you read through Scripture the way things kind of happen? Have you noticed the devil comes to Adam and Eve, doesn't come as a fallen angel, comes as a serpent, as a vessel? Have you noticed that? God speaks a prophetic word to, to the devil right at the beginning and says, this is what's going to happen to you. And that word is spoken. It goes, and it goes through the generations. It goes past Adam and Eve and Abraham and David and Solomon. And, and it hits the heart of a young teenage girl called Mary, a vessel. And what does Mary say? May your word be fulfilled in my life. A vessel, a vessel. You know, Jesus, he's over there and he's getting out of hand. You know, devil looks at her and says, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat you. I'm going to like, um, say bad things about you. I'm going to uh, thrash you and I'm going to kill you. But the devil didn't understand that when Jesus died and his flesh was torn, you just broke the vessel, but you unleashed the Ancient of Days. He didn't get that. Because the Word of God says that if he had known, he wouldn't have done that. You see, when, when the vessel was broken, something was unleashed. The Ancient of Days, the Lion of the Tribe of Judah, the Horn of Salvation, our Messiah, the Morning Star, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, our Champion, our Savior, our Shepherd, Jesus. And he spends three days in hell, and he rips the keys of life and death out of the devil's hands, and exposes him for an imposter. Have you ever wondered why the devil's so ticked off? He doesn't even have the keys to his own house, because he's an imposter. He's nothing. He's nobody. Word of God says that when we move on to eternity, we will look back and we will say, is that the worm? Is that the worm? Why do we get so intimidated? Something that really like, perplexes me, right? For some reason, particularly now, the church, this is a big generalization, the church is getting really upset at non-church people acting like non-church people. Right? Are you seeing this as well? We get upset at the world acting like the world, like non-believers acting like non-believers. Well, here's the deal. How about if we as the church act like the church, and then the world is actually going to see God through the church, and they will give their life to Jesus. Because every single person wants to know God. If we do that, that will be... So we, we don't need to get caught with red herrings, because we waste our time as a distraction. You know what a distraction is? In the old days, they, um, they used to kill people via distraction. They used to like, get a person with their limbs and they tie each limb to a separate horse 
and they say, giddy up, and every horse would go, and that was a distraction. It kills. It kills. We don't need to get caught up in distractions. But if we just come before God and say, okay, God, here I am, fill me up. It will change the world. God still works through vessels as we come to a close. I don't know if the band comes up or anything. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Honor God with your body. 2 Timothy verse 20, I read it before. In a large house, a vessel is not only of gold and silver, also wood and clay, some for special purposes, some for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. You notice here that the emphasis of this particular scripture is not on what that vessel looks like. Because there's some vessels of wood, some clay, silver, and gold. The emphasis is not on what the vessel looks like. The emphasis is on, is the vessel useful. And in this story in 2 Kings chapter 4, we read about God bringing breakthrough. We read about God's power moving. We read about how God uses vessels. And the oil only stopped when there were no more vessels. No more vessels. What could possibly happen, Elevate, if not only us, as we stand here and say, God, fill me up. But if we saw this church filled to over and over and over and over and over and over and over again of thousands of Christians, of thousands of people coming before God and saying, I don't look like much. I may only be worth 30 cents, but I know God. I'm confident of this. If I present myself, you will fill me up and we can change the world in Jesus' name. All right, let's pray. So Father, we do come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you for the opportunity to come around your word. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you speak. And I pray for your encouragement. I pray for opportunity. That as we come to this moment, Holy Spirit, that you'll be speaking to people's hearts. I pray for encouragement, God. I pray for a vision of what is in the future. Father, I pray for this church as well. I thank you for Mark and Louie as they serve as the leaders of this church, that they'll be courageous, that this church would have the spirit of a pioneer, the spirit of a pioneer who forges the way and makes the way easier and lighter for the generations to follow. Father, may your will be done and your kingdom come here in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Back to Jess.